In Nehemiah 1, 1 through 11, God speaks, speaks to us in his word. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Savannah. Good morning. We're going to have to do that again. Good morning. There we go. There we go. All right. All right. If I haven't had the opportunity or the pleasure to meet you, my name is Pat Robinson, and I'm one of the pastors here at Frontline. And this morning, we are going to be uh, talking about prayer, and uh, it's the last of our standalones before we jump into Jude next week. Uh, uh, we'll be doing a short series through Jude uh, upcoming. Ben will be back next week, and we will uh, jump in there. Uh, so... Uh, prayer is a huge subject that I, there's no possible way that I could unpack everything about prayer in 30 minutes or so over the, the next few minutes. And so I'm not going to try, uh, uh, but hopefully I can encourage you a little bit and, and possibly even, you know, help increase your prayer life in some way. And so before we jump in, if you would uh, pray with me, I'll pray for you. If you'll pray uh, for me, and then we'll dive in. Uh, our Lord in heaven, uh, we, we do come praising your name and just thanking you uh, for the gift of Jesus, for the gift of your word. And Lord, we pray uh, that you would open our hearts and open our minds this morning uh, that we could... Uh, 
uh, just grow closer to you, grow to know you better, and, and Lord, uh, be moved and transformed uh, by your word. And so we invite uh, your spirit uh, to move in our hearts and uh, move in our minds this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And as we do jump in, I, I told uh, the 9 a.m. that uh, if I did happen to fall down while I'm up here, it is not the Holy Spirit. I got a nerve messed up in my back, and it is really bothering me today. And uh, so uh, I didn't want anyone to freak out. Uh, and uh, But uh, we'll see. Hopefully I make it. Zach asked me if I was going to make it, and I said, well, it might be short, but I'll make it. <laughs> All right. And uh, prayer is a huge subject, and it has been a huge uh, a blessing and gift in my life. And uh, uh, as I have uh, walked through life, walked through ministry, uh, I can't tell you the countless nights that were spent in my backyard, under the stars, in prayer, uh, just uh, in some really hard times, some really good times, uh, and just uh, with really good friends, uh, taking time to prayer. And so uh, when you come to define prayer, it's, it's really kind of hard, uh, but I wanted to share a couple with you uh, that have been helpful for me. And the first is just the standard definition from the Lexan Bible Dictionary and just kind of talks about what prayer is and where it comes from. Prayer was not unique to the Israelites of the early biblical period. Many cultures in the Near East offered liturgical and ceremonial prayers and petitions to their deities. However, the prayers of the Old Testament differ in many respects from those surrounding ancient Near East cultures. The biblical example of prayer portray Yahweh as a God who listens, not a God who is distant or who must be cajoled into attending to the affairs of humanity. The earliest biblical prayer stems from a conversational intimacy with Yahweh and includes spontaneous and unfiltered requests. Over time, prayer evolved into a more fixed and liturgical forms. And the teachings about and examples of prayer in the New Testament stem from these Jewish roots. Yet they contain innovations introduced by Jesus and the early Christian community. The most notable developments in prayer are in, is, is that prayer in the name of Jesus in the introduction of the Lord's Prayer in the New Testament in Matthew 6 and then Luke 11. And a much shorter, uh, uh, easier one for me anyway, uh, is from Packer's a Concise Theology. God made us and has redeemed us for fellowship with himself, and that's what prayer is. Uh, I, I like that because uh, it's short, so it's really easy for my ADD to stay with. <laughs> uh, but as I said, uh, there's all kinds of prayer, and uh, whether that's uh, 
prayer of thanksgiving, prayer of repentance, prayer of lament and mourning, uh, prayer of dedication and blessing. Uh, there are all kinds of prayer. And the, the, the times that I seem uh, to really pray the most is, is when I'm in desperation, prayer of desperation. Now, a, a room full of college students ought to be able to relate to that coming up on finals, right? Uh, so, uh, but that's when, when I fully realize that there is nothing I can do and, and humble myself. That's when I seem uh, my prayer life is at its best. And the Bible is filled with numerous prayers uh, that we could learn from, uh, from Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel, Jonah's prayer in Jonah 2, uh, Solomon's temple, temple dedication in 1 Kings, uh, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, and uh, the Lord's Prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26. All of the, and there's more uh, uh, listed in the Bible that we can learn from and would be uh, really good for us to learn to. Uh, but I've always been drawn to Nehemiah's prayer. And, and so I want to take uh, just a, a quick few minutes uh, to walk through that and, and share with you um, just a few things that, that have stood out to me and have been helpful to me over time. And so what I'm going to do is walk through the verses and see how Nehemiah uh, approaches God's throne and then point out a few things uh, from that. And as we do step into the story of Nehemiah, and, and when you, you read, begin reading that story, and where he goes to pray, he learns, uh, or where he gets the report of the conditions of the walls, uh, you would think like he might be hearing about it for the first time. Uh, and it's just not true. The walls had been destroyed for 141 years. Uh, and so they had been down for a long time. They had been in captivity a long time. And he's just simply been reminded of the condition of his city. And so, and we see, uh, or we can see by looking at in Nehemiah 1.1 and Nehemiah 2.1, that he's, his time of praying and fasting before approaching the king is four months. Uh, so we know he at least dedicated four months of prayer uh, before approaching the king. And when he does approach the king, he approaches him with praise. He said, our, our God, the God of heaven, how great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. He approaches, he begins by praising God. And likewise, we see Jesus teaching. When he teaches his disciples to pray, um, he teaches them to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, or how great is your name. Uh, so uh, when we're approaching God, uh, to me, it simply it humbles me 
and reminds me that he is God and I'm not. Uh, gets me, you know, when I start by praising God and remembering how awesome and great God is, that, <clears throat> excuse me, that uh, he is God and I am not. And in verses 6 and 7, he confesses. He confesses sin for himself, for his father's household, for all the people of Israel. And uh, uh, one in remembering God and then humbling ourselves to confess. Uh, Psalms 51, 15, and 17 says this. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Uh, a broken and contrite heart is a heart that God can work with. And it's the heart, the, the condition of our heart we need to come with. Come to God in. And 1 John 1 and 1, 9 tells us, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and he will forgive us our sin. Nehemiah moves on in 8 through 10 to remind God of the promises to his people. Uh, and God did not need to be reminded of his promises. He knew the promises that he made in Deuteronomy 30. Uh, to his people that he would gather them back together and bring them back to uh, the, his city in Jerusalem. And, and so uh, Nehemiah is reminding himself of those promises. Uh, and, and there's hope in rem remembering what God has promised to do for us. And lastly, he, uh, uh, in 11, Nehemiah asked God to grant him success in the sight of this man and makes petition for God's people. And so uh, just looking at that right there for a prayer, a prayer of praise, confession, remembering what God's promises are, and a prayer of petition for God's people is a really good prayer. If we stopped right there, that would be really good. If we all prayed that every day uh, for one another, uh, all of us individually would be a lot better, and collectively the world would be a whole lot better place. Uh, and so that is really good. But I want, I want to look a, a little further and see what praying that does for us and, and what we can learn from that. And the first thing we can learn from that is that prayer makes us sensitive to our circumstances. Like I said, Nehemiah, it was not new to Nehemiah that the walls were down. He knew that. But after four months of, of at least four months that we were made aware of prayer and fasting, he goes before the king and makes petition for, uh, for, his, uh, for the people and one of the things in that, in that time of him praying, that circumstance did not change. 
the walls were still down. And that's one thing that uh, I have learned is that prayer might not change my circumstance, but it will change me and change my heart. And we, we see that with Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 and 7 through 9. Paul pleaded three times for the Lord to remove uh, the thorn from his flesh. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. And, and I, can't, I cannot tell you the, the countless number of times that I've prayed for people or about people or a situation where those circumstances never changed. But God changed my own heart. And he will change all of our hearts if we allow him to. So our circumstances might not change, but God will change our heart. And prayer draws us closer to God. You see, if you are here today, God has been and is pursuing you. It's no coincidence that you're here. You didn't happen just to be here by accident today. It's no coincidence. And God has pursued all of us ever since the fall in the garden in Genesis 3. And prayer is our way of pursuing him. And we pursue him to know him more intimately. Prayer is where we can pour out whatever is in our heart or on our heart. And we can do this simply because Jesus has gone before us and he's experienced the same things that we experience. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says it this way. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. There will be a time when we have need, great need, and the throne of prayer is the way we draw close to God uh, for that help. And finally, prayer gives us hope, strength, courage, and resolve for the journey. And you see, Nehemiah was granted his petition. He was granted favor in the sight of the king. And he went to rebuild walls, the walls. He was given letters to pass through the land. He was given letters for timbers to rebuild the gates. And in all of that, he had great hope. And yet in that hope, when he, when he got to Jerusalem and word spread of what they were doing, he faced great opposition by Sam Ballot and Tobiah. 
You see, prayer's not a one-shot wonder. It doesn't fix. It's not a magic bullet. It's not an instant fix. It's, it's a lifetime of building a, a spiritual discipline, of building relationship with God. In Nehemiah 4, beginning in verse 7, but when Samballot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard of, that they were repairing the walls in Jerusalem, that the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and we set as a guard as I set a guard as protection against them day and night. You see, uh, they continued <laughs> to pray to God. And they set guards and continued the work. And they prepared themselves for battle. And pick it back up in 15, in verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the, to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of the servants worked on construction and half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall those who, had, who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held a weapon in his other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to, at his side while he built. And the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, and our God will fight for us. You see, it took all of them coming together, coming together as a community, those who were working, those who were standing guard, and the leaders who were standing behind them, they all worked together. And it took the whole community. And, and as they worked on the wall, they prepared to defend themselves. And in the reality, in reality, we're rarely going to have to physically defend ourselves. but we will have to spiritually defend ourselves. We always will have to be on guard to defend ourselves against the schemes of the devil. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5 reminds us, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not of this, are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy the arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take thought, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Our battle is not with flesh. Our battle is spiritual. And we have to take up the battle and we have to take it up together. You see, Satan roars about like a lion looking to devour. And he does so by isolating. If you know how lions hunt, they hunt in a pride. They don't hunt alone. And they single out one from the crowd and kill it. And so we have to work together. We have to to stand guard for each other. And we can't do that unless we're in community. And we can't do that unless we know each other. And... uh, So you hear a lot about community from this pulpit, and that's the reason. If we're isolated and alone, we're vulnerable. And so what do we do? How do we battle back? We put on the whole armor of God. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, and I'm going to skip around in this a little bit. Uh, But 11 says, put on the whole armor armor of God that you may be able to withstand, stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. There is a spiritual battle going on and we have to take up the armor put on the armor and he lists uh, the blessed breastplate of righteousness uh, the helmet of salvation the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and it has all the weapons all the armor and now you go to war praying at all times In the spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all preservation, uh, making supplications for all the saints. When we go to battle, we do it in a spiritual realm, and we do it together for all the saints. You see... Satan cannot fight in the light. And when we, when we go before the throne of grace, we drag him into the light. He is the prince of the power of darkness and cannot stand the light. He hates the light because it exposes him. And so, as we do that, uh, 
And we're, do, we're designed to do it together. We can't do it alone. That's why we always encourage you to be in community group, to be known in your community group, uh, to eliminate uh, even the opportunity to be fighting alone. We should be battling together for one another. And even as a community, as we all come together to battle uh, for one another, we still have other help. Romans 8. And we're not going to skip any of this, Susan. Uh, beginning in verse 26. Well, actually, we are. I'm sorry. <laughs> I lied to you. Will, you can point that out now. Uh, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Uh, the Spirit intercedes for not for my will, not for your will, but for the will of God. We are not alone. We have each other. We have the Holy Spirit. And we also have Christ interceding for us. If you drop down and continue in verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conqueror through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that should get amen. If you belong to Jesus, you are his and nothing can separate you from him. We are called to be together and to fight for one another. 
Holy Spirit fights for us. Jesus intercedes for us. And as a believer, that needs to be super comforting. And maybe you're here and you're not a believer. And maybe you don't even know what you think about God or church or any of this. That's okay. Uh, Approach his throne of grace and ask him to reveal himself. Matthew 7 says that ask and it will be given you. But wherever you're at, you are not alone. And, And we're here to battle with you. We're here to come around you, uh, to care for you, and and today, uh, we don't want anyone to walk out of here uh, feeling alone or battling alone. And when we close out, we will have our ministry team up front uh, just to talk with you or pray with you or whatever, whatever you need, And, and I mean any need. And when I started, I said there's all kinds of prayer. Uh, we pray for all kinds of things. Uh, whether that can be health, that can be spiritual, that can just be loneliness. And, and we've seen healing in all of those. And so we would love to talk to you and pray with you, but more than, more than anything, we want uh, to walk beside you and battle with you.